0: Ephesians 6, you guys ready for it? Here we go. This means war, which apparently is the lyrics to a song. Uh, <clears throat> about 30 days to Mars. Is that right, Dan? 30 seconds to Mars. There we go. 30 days. Yeah. My band's still on the way. Still, still making the way to Mars. Okay. And the idea is that. We we are going to read a passage of scripture. That might strike us as foreign because it's speaking about a spiritual, world, not a physical world. A spiritual. World. If you find yourself in this city, Latin America, many places in the world, this idea of spiritual warfare, about a conflict between good and bad, is not actually an unusual concept. But for us sitting today, maybe it might strike us as a bit of a foreign concept that there's a spiritual realm. Today and tomorrow, Carl. I mean, next week, Kyle will be preaching on spiritual warfare. So we're going to unpack this passage over two weeks. Uh, Let's read together, Ephesians 6, verse 10. I want to show you this is a popular passage. Look at Google. I I just typed in Ephesians, and Google, you know, will auto-complete what people normally search for, and you'll see Ephesians 6, the top chapter out of all of Ephesians. And in fact, you'll see there the first kind of verse that gets mentioned on its own, Ephesians 3.20, and then 6.10. So we're right in the heart of what people find interesting. So let's go for it from verse 10. Finally... This is God's word to us today, and we're going to notice whom we fight, firstly, what we fight, and then finally, how we fight. So whom we fight, whom we fight, it's the devil, right? There he is. It's the devil appearing there. It says, and then it gave some more clarity, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present age, against Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's the devil, but there's some some greater emphasis coming our way. What Paul's not saying is that there's no flesh and blood dynamic, right? He has been uh, thrown in jail, or maybe he's writing this from jail. He's been beaten, he's been stoned. He's very aware that flesh and blood damage can be done. All he's saying is it's not only that. It's almost like he's saying what you see happening in the flesh and blood, there's like a whole spiritual dimension behind it that energizes it and, and, that, and that gives it power. So there's flesh and blood, but there's more than flesh and blood is what he's saying. And it's tricky for us today, many of us, um, not everyone in Cape Town, but some of us sitting here in Greenpoint, because we believe that everything has a scientific explanation. Is kind of like a a cause for everything. We could figure this stuff out. So crime, violence, greed, racism, war, cruelty, there must be a natural cause. We just need to find it. And typically we'd say they are probably bad psychological factors. That could be the cause. You weren't raised right or perhaps you didn't get the right education. Bad psychological factors or bad sociological factors. We zoom out a bit and we look at a whole system and we say, no, the system's broken. There's got to be a natural cause to it. We can figure it out. We can fix it. That's very much the Western mindset. Now, Andrew Albonco has studied um, at Columbia University. He's a lecturer there. He's written actually a book called The Death of Satan, particularly about the Western world and how we've just, we've just blown apart previous thinking that there was a spiritual realm. He has this to say. He says, we've jettisoned in the West, in other words, we've thrown away, the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in that. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil. The reason we don't like to use it is because it implies value judgment, moral absolutes. So we use medical terms. Talk about dysfunction, talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. What he's essentially saying is that we've thrown it out, but yet, if you read him further, he says it's getting harder and harder to say in a world of Holocaust, ethnic cleansing, serial killing, that these are just bad psychological or bad sociological adjustment issues. One of the things we used to say is racism, violence, it all comes from a lack of education, a lack of civilization, a lack of culture. It's only primitive, uncivilized people that would do something like this. But then we had World War II. We had the final solution. We had the Holocaust. We had death camps that arose out of perhaps one of the most well-educated and cultured groups that this planet has ever seen. Closer to home. Then we had apartheid. Those that... That were at the end of apartheid, studied in the Netherlands, came back in the 30s, used to meet in the company gardens. Jan Smuts used to call them the coffee club because they would sit for hours thinking about the future of South Africa and how they could bring the theology and the thoughts from where they had studied to bear in our own country. So over and over again, people say, oh, it's bad psychological factors, bad sociological factors, but that's starting to wear a little bit thin. That's what Dalbanco is saying. There's got to be more to this. But where is that something more? And Scripture doesn't have that problem. Scripture, scripture looks below, beyond that and says, no, 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 there's something going on here. And evil's come from somewhere. It's come from the free will that both angels, supernatural forces, as well as men and women have. The free will they have has led them to choose to rebel against their creator. So angels have, some of them, exercised their free will. And they've turned away from God, and they've fallen angels, the devil and his demons. They're personal supernatural beings. And then all of us, on the other hand, all of us in the human race have also turned, and our sin and evil has has taken over our hearts, Our, our, our curving in towards ourselves is deeply rooted in our souls, and has spiritual roots. See, here's what Christianity is saying, Tim Keller will put this better than I will. He says, yes, psychological and sociological factors can aggravate, so these are not Small things, they can aggregate, they can accentuate, and they can shape the innate self-centeredness, the innate self-absorption, the innate blindness and self-delusion, the innate ra- radical insecurity in the human heart. Those factors don't create it. There's something in our hearts that gets aggravated by the devil and makes the, way, the world the way it is. Do you, do you this morning believe that there's a devil? Do you believe that, they're, that they're, these powers and principalities spoken of, that there are these demons? You need to see this. And I know there are a lot of people that have a trouble with this, and that's why I want to push us a little bit on it. But push you by first saying, do you perhaps see that if you don't believe in this realm, that you could potentially be incredibly culturally narrow because you're born in a particular culture that you're in. Most of the world actually is very comfortable trying to make sense of the world and incredibly helped by the fact that there's not just flesh and blood, that there's something beyond this. Perhaps you've been quite culturally narrow if you haven't opened your mind to this possibility. Second idea i 'd like to say to you is, do you believe in a personal God, do you believe in a creator God, a, a supernatural God that 's created all of this? then if you believe in a God, could you not believe in those other, other supernatural powers that would rebel against such a God so we 're a little bit inconsistent, to believe in one but not to believe in the other and just as there 's a good personal supernatural being, could there be bad personal supernatural beings here 's the main thing. this is what scripture 's saying is that if you go out into the world thinking that flesh and blood is all there is, the natural is all there is, you're just not going to be able to make sense of what happens, the reality of evil. You're not going to be equipped. You see, you need to look beyond you and beyond here to understand that there is a God who can help us in amongst the chaos of evil, but to be missing out in the supernatural realm is to to be losing the battle right at the beginning. So that's whom we fight. We fight the devil, the demons. Well, what do we fight? What do we fight? This is what Paul's uh, uh, speaking about. And remember, he's wrapping up the letter, and he's saying it's so important you get this because you're going you're to go out from here and live life, and you've got to understand how the devil's going to work. And you see, the devil has got schemes. Do you see that word? It says that we fight the devil, but in particular, we fight the schemes of the devil. The word for schemes, is another way of saying it is strategies. And it's like the devil's got a portfolio of strategies that he can use in our lives. There are kind of two errors that we can make here. First error is that we can underestimate the power of the devil, other error is that we can overestimate the power of the devil. So let's let's look at these schemes and let's look at what it would mean to underestimate this. See when Paul's writing, you notice he says we uh, are, need to be strong in the strength, we need to stand against the schemes, and then he says, For we do not wrestle. Now that word wrestle is an important one. Maybe he doesn't want you to underestimate the devil, he uses the word wrestle. Now, if you're fighting someone with an arrow, you're at a distance, right? If you're fighting with a sword, you're at a distance. What wrestle means is you are in physical contact. You are like on the ground. It's the last kind of, it's the last struggle. He's saying to you, do not underestimate the devil. It's that close, this wrestling. It's a desperate life or death situation. And you'll notice he further emphasizes it by giving you all those other words to say it's not just the devil. He comes at you as as someone who's got rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces. So he's saying, do not underestimate this enemy of yours. He gets in close and he comes at you. Do not underestimate him. But on the other side, he also says, don't overemphasize the devil. You'll notice he'll say things like, be strong in the Lord. He's basically saying, don't be afraid. Don't run. Don't be a coward. Don't run away from the wrestle. Be aware of it, but don't run away. Victory is possible. He says you can stand firm. You can expect success. Of course, both of these errors work for the devil. If you underestimate him, you just do not understand the powers that are at work here, and you kind of are going to go be going through, not not realizing the wrestle you're in. That if you overemphasize, you make it all about the devil. You're gonna you're gonna gonna miss out on the very reality that there are many other things that could cause what's happening. So let's quickly take an example: the rise in anxiety and depression amongst people. What could be the cause? Well, someone could say, well, it's the devil. It's spiritual warfare, Paul, and they, we all know there are Christ followers that do this. They're like, nah, doesn't matter. It's all about the devil. It's Satan all the way to the bottom. A slightly more subtle thing could be asked in the question, okay, if you're suffering from depression, how is it going physically, right? There could be a physical cause. Have you had medicine? Have you had food? Have you had rest? Have you slept? It could be something to do with the body. Besides physical, it could also be psychological. Perhaps there's something cast down in your temperament, something that's happened. And you need love, affirmation, support physical, psychological, it could be moral. In other words, you could be feeling very guilty about something, or you maybe you know you need to forgive someone, but you're struggling to forgive them, so you're feeling guilty about not giving forgiveness, and you actually need to be reconciled and to experience forgiveness. So there's physical, there's psychological, there's moral, and then there's also demonic, and we mustn't forget this last one. And they kind of all interact together, and there's nuance and there's balance, but they're all of some things to consider, and what Paul's saying is, when he's writing this letter, is he's saying, "Don't fall into an overly simplistic. It's all the devil, or it's got nothing to do with the devil." He's saying, "No, all these factors interact, and you've got to be aware of them." And you might be saying to me, "No, no, no, <coughs> it's the devil all the way down," and I'd say to you, "No, no, slow down. What about the kind of family you were part of, the way you were raised?" What about bad um, psychology perhaps really flowing from that? Do you think that's how it is but it isn't necessarily the truth? What about your um, physical condition? If you've been sleeping, maybe there's something wrong with a chemical imbalance and your further response will be like, no, it's all the devil. I'll say to you that you have collapsed. You haven't fully seen what's going on here. Now, probably more likely here this morning in Greenpoint is that we just don't believe in all of this at all. And essentially, we... Don't, don't have a super spiritual approach. We probably have an under spiritual approach. And I really now for a couple of minutes just want to focus in on how the devil's schemes really work in our hearts. And I really want to get us into realizing that a lot of this is not over the top like in the movies where the person's head starts spinning around, they turn green and like rah, chaos breaks out. right? Like that, that is often how he thinks, like, oh, that's all it is. No, it often comes in the form of temptations and accusations which actually shows up in our minds as self-talk. And so these are the strategies that I want us to focus in on. And you'll notice the word devil, it actually means uh, diablos. That's the word Paul's using here. And diablos, what does it mean? You're thinking, ooh, diabolical. Like, there's the word. You know, I know what it means. No, no, if you actually look at it, it means to lie or to slander. So what the devil's going to do is he's going to lie to you and he's going to slander the name of God. That's what he does. So let's have a look at how this works. Temptation. The devil uses a strategy, an accusation. Temptation is to make you have such a high view of yourself that you basically say, ah, oh, I can do this thing because I'm just so amazing. Accusation, what it does is it says, no, 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 you're accused. You've, you've got such a low view of who you are, so it doesn't really matter what you do because you're so beyond redemption. Those are two strategies. And um, this might not very be motivating to you right now, but I'm hoping you'll, you'll listen and understand this because you'll better understand your heart. I'm getting this from Thomas Brooks, who was a 17th century Puritan. He's got a book. You can get it online for free. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He came up with 50, 60, 70 of these. And I'm going to just flow through a few with you to help you better understand what happens in your mind as Satan comes along and he tempts you. So let's try the first temptation. This is what Satan does, his first device. What he does is he shows you the bait, but he hides the hook. Shows you the bait, but he shows you the short-term pleasures, but he doesn't let you see the long-term consequences of what's happening. Do you guys know this one? Know this one? Okay, okay, we know that one. Okay. The second one is he gets you to rationalize your sin as a virtue. He says, "I'm not really greedy. I'm a wise saver. I'm not really nosy or gossipy. I'm just concerned about their well-being. I'm not, you know, an alcoholic. I'm just sociable. You know, it's the kind of things we say to ourselves. So you get." To rationalize your sin as a virtue. Thirdly, showing you the sins of Christian leaders. So you can just tut-tut and say, well, they did that. So nobody's really holy. So I can do whatever I want. Fourthly, overstress the mercy of God. Say to yourself, do it. God will forgive you. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. That's God's job. Fifthly, he tempts you by saying, you should be bitter over the suffering that you're feeling. I've suffered, so I deserve this. By the way, this is perhaps why so many powerful and prominent people have affairs. Because they're saying to themselves deep down inside, nobody knows how hard I've worked, how many sacrifices I've made, so I deserve this. That's temptation. And I found that on my some of my business trips to Joburg on the way back at the airport. There's headf- uh, like, there's all this expensive stuff. All this expensive. Stuff, and part of you like justifies the purchase. You're like, I have suffered in Joburg for so long. I deserve this, this product. Like and you find yourself, wow, I'd never spend that on a weekend in Cape Town. But you because you've suffered in the big smoke, you're like, I'm claiming mine. Okay. I'm not, you know, no judgment if you an airport retailer. But you've got a lot working for you in that, in that airport. Okay, here's another thing. By showing Christians how many bad people seem to be having great lives. Your self-talk goes like this. I might as well do it. Playing by the rules clearly hasn't played off. How about this one? You compare one part of your life to another. You say, look, I'm really good over here. I'm really giving a lot here. So it doesn't really matter if I kind of let it slide a little bit in that category. In fact, it's fascinating if you study some of the violence in the in the Cape and, and the gang members, you go into those communities, they are sometimes the pillars of these communities, sponsoring youth development programs, so involved, but gangs selling drugs in the same community. You're like, how does that hold together? Well, you've said I'm really not a bad person, and this is how I have to, to make a living. Business is business. So that's temptation. Let me summarize it, remember? Ultimately, he's saying, you're amazing, so don't worry about these rules. He maximizes God's love and forgiveness, and he minimizes God's holiness and his glory, his perfection. And if that doesn't stop working, if you start to get humble and you start to kind of go, no, no, that's not true, what he'll do is he'll suddenly switch to accusation. Here, what he'll do is he'll make much of your guilt, make much of God's holiness, make much of God's perfection, and he'll hide the love and acceptance and freedom that God provides. And so he'll come alongside you and he'll say, Whoa, look at your sin much more than you should look at your Savior. Look at your sin much more than you should look at your Savior. By the way, parents, this is why it's so important that when we speak to our children that we... Flood them with affirmation and confirmation because here's a biblical reason for that. Deep down inside, we all know there's something wrong. We all know that we've turned in on ourselves. And so if you only give one compliment, for one criticism, man, that's overwhelming given that we know we've bent in on ourselves. It's almost like you've got a flood with five or six affirmations to your children so that they do realize that there's an alternative. Otherwise, accusation takes hold of their hearts and leaves them hopeless. So what does he do? He accuses you. Look at your sin. Don't look at your Savior. The second thing he does Is he makes you obsess over parsons that have done damage that can't be undone. Oh, you did that. And look, there's nothing you can do about it. (sighs) Like, would God ever use someone like you? Makes you obsess over parsons that have done damage that can't be undone. Third thing is, he makes you think the troubles that you're going through must be punishment. Makes you think it's punishment, like, this wouldn't have happened unless God was mad at me and you take your eye off God and you think of Him as angry and you don't approach Him anymore. Then, fourthly, You make people think that Christians couldn't possibly have any inner struggles and feelings. So if you do struggle and you are struggling with depression, whatever it is, you say to yourself, man, if I was really a Christ follower, I would never have these issues. So, Obviously, I'm not a Christ follower. Obviously, there's something that, that God's seen in me and he's rejected me. Do you recognize any of these? Do you, do you recognize? And Satan's very clever. He's got schemes. He'll, he's got a wide portfolio. He'll try tempting. If you get over that, he'll try accusation. He'll toggle between the two. Now, at this point, you want to ask the question, well, how do we fight? How do we fight? We know we've got an enemy, and we know that he has these schemes. How do we fight? And you might say, but Paul, there's not a lot of time left. And you're right. You're right. And that's why I'm going to tell you to come back next week. Because what we have, what we have is a whole bunch of armor that we're going to put on. Paul's saying, he's setting it all up, and he's saying, you've got an enemy, you've got a battle, but there's a whole bunch of army, armor that you need to have. But before going and and reading that passage yourself, I want to just say there are two things you need to fight successfully. First is you need to know the particular tactics that the devil uses against you. What does he do when he crawls into it? Does he typically make you puff yourself up and just allow a whole bunch of things to go? Or does he break you down and, 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 and make God inaccessible because you can't see his love and you can't see the freedom that you've got in him? Which one are you particularly susceptible to? They're basically two forms of self-talk, but now you know there's not self-talk. There's something more in the spiritual realm that's getting into you and, and, and engaging with you. Perhaps this analogy helps. That John White is a Christian counselor and essentially what he does is analogies. He says, imagine going up to a piano and I'm not a musical person. We don't have the old school piano here. But you open up the lid and if you've got a singing voice you hit a note. And I'm told that whatever note on the piano aligns with your voice will start to vibrate. So that's how music works. The sound waves. And what essentially happens is it's almost as if Satan comes into your life, opens up the lid and, and sees where, where's the vibration. What is your tendency? What is, where do you curve in on yourself? He doesn't invent that. that. That's come because we're rebels that have turned our back on God. But he can come and he can aggravate it. He can be like, oh, there it is. Let me just let me just put some things along those lines. Let me start to get some resonation in that area. That's why early in Ephesians we said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because when he opens up the lid and he has a look, he goes, oh, there's some anger here. Let me just... Just put in a few extra examples, and I'm not creating anything here. I'm just aggravating what's already been opened up. I know you think Leanne and I have a perfect marriage. But we found ourselves in this beautiful date. You know, when you finally handed the kids over and you're like, oh, we got time, we're going to go out on a date, it's going to be magical. And it's almost like with all the kids gone and you got time in your hands, it's like you finally get to lift up the rug where you've been sweeping everything under. And what starts out as an innocent conversation quickly goes ballistic. I remember at one point, you know when the waiters normally come and they chat to you, but this waiter was like, slid the ball. It was like, Kind of just like, I can see things have and we were talking very calm it was very respectful but it was hectic and like all the tables around us and we were and this isn't an old example this is last week <laughs> and Leanne in all her wisdom at one point said to me she said you know Paul what I'm trying to figure out is how has Satan got in here how has Satan got in here because he's having a field day between us and I remember thinking oh great bring Satan in like, <laughs> like <laughs> it was sort of like very mature response and maybe this is helpful. We realized afterwards he said whenever these things get hectic, your first response is never mature, right? It's always immature. It's just it's almost like you go immature, and then what happens is you both judge each other's immature reactions, and then the fight isn't about the fight, it's about oh, you're so immature, well, you're so and then and actually part of what Satan does is he looks at where the cord is. He goes, oh, there's some immaturity. Notice that, Paul. Notice that, Leanne. And then it drives us apart. Here's a field day as our selfishness and self-centeredness goes in there. And just to have the circuit break and say, Satan is having a field day here. He's taken the self-centeredness and he's, and he's making me run with it. I need to stop and I need to love you and remind myself of what we're doing here and recognize that it's not just flesh and blood meeting there. There's an enemy who's looking for an opening. That's the first principle. Know where the danger lies, and, 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 and stop it. Get, get corrected. Well, How do you stop it? That's the obvious question. We're going to find out about the full armor next week, but I want to tell you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that armor. And then finally here, I want to fe- finish. Like, what does the gospel mean? Just picture yourself in the city bowl. So you're in the city bowl. You're looking up at the mountain. Randall and Michelle, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss this. You're in the bowl, and you're looking up at the mountain. What have you got on the left? Now, Cape Townians, you should get spiritual warfare. What have you got on the left? devil's peak, right? So don't tell, me, don't tell me you're like, what? The devil? Okay, you've got a huge feature right there for you. Devil's peak. And there's a devil and he's accusing you and he has the thing. He's right. We have curved in on ourselves. We are far from God. Who have you got on the far right? You've got the lion's head. You've got a king who's majestic, who roars over everything. He's the king. He's the king. He's purely. He's holy. He's there. And you're going, whoa, I'm not on that And I'm here. And I'm accused and I'm guilty. I'm in the bowl, right? I'm, I'm nowhere. And And I can be accused and I'm guilty. And you're like, how do you bridge that? How does the line, and you can read Narnia to get more of the imagery of Aslan here. How does the line and the devil, how does that ever work out? In between, we've got a table prepared for us we got a table prepared. And we've got, we've got Jesus the night before he's portrayed saying, saying, I want you to have a meal around the table to remember what I've done. I want, I want you to understand hospitality. I want you to understand a God who includes you. Even though you're in the bowl and you are guilty and you're going to get accused of that, I'm including you in on a meal. He got into trouble, Jesus, because he had meals with all the wrong kind of people. Like Why are you having meals with these guys? Because they knew hospitality and being invited to the table was so much more meaningful than just a meal. It was a connection, a relationship. And you say, how does that happen, Paul? Well, we know that in order for there to be a table be prepared, there needed to be a lamb. Before God came as a lion, he came as a lamb and he went to the cross. He was he was m- murdered, he was crucified. And the devil accused him and tempted him, and yet he still went faithfully to be our substitute, to be our sacrifice, to be our lamb. And part of the deal is you don't climb up table mountain and arrive at the top and go, ta da, I made it to be with God. That's what all religion tells you. It tells you climb up the mountain. And if you're doing really well, Satan's going to tempt you, and then you're going to sin. And if you're not climbing very well, he's going to accuse you, and then you're going to sin. I mean, there's no ways you can climb up this thing. And I thought about this in worship, and I thought, maybe it's cheesy, but you've got a cable car, right? <laughs> you've got a cable car. And the thing is, you don't climb and like, do the step in the cable car. You just get on that thing, and it carries you to the top. It invites you to the table. It gets you there. It's by grace. Jesus Christ makes himself valley. He says, come, I'll lift you. I will raise you. I will get you into relationship with the Father. So it says, Capetonians, can we, can we just pause every now and again? And when things are going crazy and we're losing sight of God's holiness, can we remember lion's head? And we can go, no, he is holy. He is perfect. He is incredible. And then when Satan says, okay, but, 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 but he doesn't love you. No, no, no. I look at Table Mountain. I look at a feast prepared for me. I know that his son has made a way. Like, like, like I've got take it on that cable card. Nothing I've done. He, he lifts me up. And, and in the presence of my enemies, he's prepared a feast for me. Now enjoy his presence. That's putting on the whole armor of God. That's how you defeat Satan's strategies. You feast with our Creator. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray as we close our time together this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for giving us everything we need to fight the fights, that, that's our, the, the fights that are right in front of us. Lord, we know it's not just the devil. There's evil in us. That's our flesh. There's evil outside of us. That's the world. There's evil above us. That's the devil. We know things are complex, and we can never blame, blame everything on the devil. We recognize the multi dimensionality of sin And particularly this morning, we recognize the spiritual dimension of it. We will not make the same mistake the majority of our civilization has made for the last century, which is to underestimate the power of evil and seeing that we wrestle not only with flesh and blood, but in Jesus Christ, you disarmed the principalities and powers when you died on the cross. As the book of Revelation said, we triumph over the accuser with the blood of the lamb, and we're invited to the feast, we're invited to the table, of what you've done. We pray, Lord, that would you teach us how to put the full armor of God on, to to put on the gospel, that everybody in this room would find ways to which they can identify the devices that Satan uses and to use the gospel in those particular ways they need to, to remind them of your love, your holiness, your love, and your forgiveness. Give us the wisdom as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.